You're listening to From the Field, a podcast helping ministry leaders think differently, thrive personally, and lead thoughtfully. Welcome to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Formation Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. My name is Tyler Dravitz. I'm the executive pastor at Formation Church, and I also lead a company called MyXP, where we help pastors solve problems by providing remote executive pastor support to churches around the country. Learn more at myxp.church. All right. We're in a series of conversations, uh, really just debriefing everything that it is that we're doing right now uh, for Mm -hmm. people that haven't been following along. Yep. Uh, Just about a month and a half ago... Two months ago, I guess, almost at this point, uh, we shut down weekly services at Ridgeline Church, the church that we uh, planted here five years ago in Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City, and we are working toward relaunching as Formation Church uh, at the end of September. Yeah. And this is much more than just a rename. As we've tried to explain, we've really worked hard to tear this thing down to the studs and really, truly start over. So we are full-blown back into core group training uh, at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. And so last week, we talked about how in week one, we spent the entirety of our time with our core group talking about our name, why we chose the name Formation. And then in week two, which we want to debrief today, uh, we spent all of our time talking about our vision as a church. And here's why we started with vision and why I would encourage anyone who is planting a church, replanting a church, trying to revitalize a church to start with vision. Vision is who we are or what we aspire to be together. So it's like our North Star. And if we don't know, like if we don't, if we're not clear on our vision, if as not just leaders, but as a community, then we don't really understand what it is we're trying to build together. And so we decided to start with this, this week with with just that. And so our vision for formation Mm -hmm. is to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. And I I think we've talked about this in other episodes on Mm -hmm. things like vision and mission and all of that. But where is the quote from about like, is what's written on the wall happening down Down the the hall? hall. Yeah. It's Andy Stanley quote. I think maybe from his book visioneering, which was about vision, but that's something when he was doing coaching, that was a question that he asked is what's written on the wall. Meaning like our vision or our values, is it actually happening down the hall? Sure. And I mean, is it actually who we are? We don't have the luxury of having our own building. Yeah. Uh, but even the one that we're meeting in right now, mm-hmm. as we walk down to the kids ministry, they have these big things on the wall that a lot of them are just that type of thing, vision and purpose and mission yep. and all of those kind of things. And so uh, every organization, I worked for Starbucks, they have all the statements. I yep. think that like, it seems like you can't even uh, have an idea until you've first fleshed out all of that. Yeah. And so, um, and so I love that we've got these, but mm-hmm. for us, they're more than just like we like that, that phrase, even though I didn't remember who it was by is yeah. like matters to us. Totally. Like we does, really, yeah. we really care about people knowing what it is. And even, uh, last night, uh, we're not talking about last night today, but even yeah. last night, like you had people like recite it together. Yeah. And I love that. I hope yeah. that some way by the time we're done with all of this, the people who have come, even if they can't do like word perfect, mm-hmm. can cobble together 
something in terms of that yeah. statement. Yeah. And I, I would say one thing that's really important for us, and we're not going to spend time today like explaining how to craft a vision statement, yeah. but my strong encouragement would be as much as possible, don't make it aspirational, make it descriptive of what actually is. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Like that's so maybe wait then. So what if you're a church planner? Yeah, potentially, or like really look into the core and essence of who you are sure. as a leader, and make okay. and and just know this is because my, this ministry is an overflow of who I am. Yep. It's going to to take that on. That would be my encouragement because I a lot of vision stuff is really really aspirational, and sometimes it's so big or so broad or so so unrealistic. It it isn't actually actually actionable. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing about this is <clears throat> I had the benefit because we are replanting a church out yeah. of an existing one that I was able to put language to, well, this is actually who we are. Yeah. We, we have been and are a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. Yep. And so <clears throat> in our core group meetings, the format has been the same. Like we have a contemplative prayer element and we do these things called altars, which talked a little bit about last week, Mm -hmm. but then the bulk of it is a combination of teaching and table interaction. And so we're going to break down exactly what we talked about. But before we do that, I would love to hear from you why you think that the table discussion component in a training, because the truth is any kind of training thing we do, Mm -hmm. you are, you've always pushed for, like table discussion. Sure. And so talk a little bit about why you think that's so effective in a training environment. Sure. Well, I mean, I think, and I'm going to butcher this because it's been so long since I've been taught some of the tenets of this, but there's all the different kinds of learners mm-hmm. and the kinesthetic and the this yeah. and that and the other and all of that kind of stuff. And I think really what this does is it takes a principle that you've been taught mm-hmm. and allows it to just kind of flush itself out in a different way mm-hmm. and in a, in a way that I think it... Um, uh, establishes itself differently in your mind and mm-hmm. that you're going to remember it differently. And so as you have to wrestle with that idea in real time with mm-hmm. other people that you either know or don't know mm-hmm. and have to verbalize and vocalize how you feel about it, your thoughts on it, uh, those types of things, um, it really just takes better root in your mind. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and then also, you know, there's always the like, you get to know other people at your table, you yeah. get to, you know, there's all kinds of things, but um, I just think that it always adds value. I think whenever possible, like the sort of table talk and then presenting back mm-hmm. has always, always been a really value added kind of lever to pull if mm-hmm. you're doing any sort of facilitation. Obviously, that can't be a regular part of like Sunday morning teaching, mm-hmm. but anything outside of that, I always love to see some sort of table talk discussion. Um, and, and like, I know this might be silly, but like there is significance in a round table. As a matter of fact, oh, totally our is. very first week, we thought there would be enough and there uh, wasn't so yeah, rectangles. Yeah. Because we didn't want mismatch. Cause that's weird. And it was real awkward. It felt like you were at some sort of like, um, leadership presentation banquet mm-hmm. thing where, yeah. I mean, it was just real weird. It wasn't so, ideal. Yeah. yeah. I do really love the point about it inviting people to actually interact with mm-hmm. not just with one another, but with what is being taught. Yeah. And so much of the teaching that we do does not really invite that. Sure. Because and, even, you know, if during that point you took a brain break cause you got a weird text message, mm-hmm. you might've missed the point altogether, but totally. now you've got 
you know, five to seven minutes at your table. Like, even if you did it all of a sudden now it's like back to my table and you're like, Oh, what was the question? And Mm -hmm. so even if you miss the teaching on it, you've now got to like espouse what you think on it. Right. Based on the question on the screen and the fact that everyone's going to like, you're going around the table. People are going to look at you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, how we broke this down. So we, we took this phrase, our vision statement, uh, to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. And we basically just broke down that phrase into its three parts. Mm-hmm. So I started off by talking about that our vision is to be a safe place. And I set it up this way. The reality is that m- most of us, as humans in general, live the majority of life in a very defensive posture. So we protect ourselves and we are people pleasers and we push people away and we say what we believe everybody else wants to hear. We aren't honest and we pretend to be people that we aren't. And all of this is bent toward self-protection. And Jesus desperately intends for the church to be a very safe place, physically, obviously, but also emotionally and mentally. And so we really hold that in high regard and think that it is our responsibility to create a church that is a safe place. And Mm -hmm. a lot of churches are not a safe place. Yep, They are only a safe place if you look like, believe like, and act like everybody else mm-hmm. that is a part of that church, what we would call a bounded set philosophy. Yep. That as long as you adhere to our beliefs, our values, our behaviors, if you fit within that box, then we're a safe place for you. But anything outside of that, and this is not going to be safe. And I would say that that is terribly problematic and very un-Jesus-y. Yeah. And so we really, really want to work hard to be a safe place. And so the question that we threw to the tables that I would love to throw to you yeah. is what are, what are some ways that we can be a safe place? And maybe more specifically, like when you think about the people that you are in relationship with or have been re- in relationship with in the past, what, what has made you feel or what is most important to you personally in uh, having someone feel like a safe place for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, if I had to boil it down, I think more than anything, it's the freedom to be exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. And I am like a weird mother. I, I just am <laughs> like in general, like, so I'm, I, I, I think of you as eccentric. Sure. Like a lot of geniuses oh, there you are. Go. Oh yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what people think about me. Tyler equals genius. I'm sure many people agree with that. Um, no, but I mean, I think, um, I am 40 and mm-hmm. I'm single, mm-hmm. you know, there's a blockbuster movie about my life with Steve Carell, <laughs> the 40 year old virgin. Yeah. yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> And, and that it was laughable for all of America it made millions of dollars because no one thought it could be real. Yeah. It's real folks. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> um, and so there's that. I, yep. I love me some Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very particular about the things that I like. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. those things, all of that. And I, um, but at the same rate, um, as a result, I think sometimes people who just meet me or don't know me very well assume like I always have to be right or assume like mm-hmm. I think it's easy to make a lot of like uh, stereotypical blanketed uh, ideologies or mm-hmm. judgments about me. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that those are fair. Mm-hmm. I think just because so so the reality is every time you go home and have to deal with your kids and interact with your spouse and all of those kind of take care of your yard. I live in an apartment mm-hmm. and I'm moving to a con- all of those things that you do and mm-hmm. the, the family pet and all of that. Like 
I'm like investigating why do I think the things that I think and like Googling and all of yeah. that. And so um, I'm really committed to the things I think, mm -hmm. but I'm open to the fact that like you might know something I don't know, mm -hmm. but I don't hold to my ideas or convictions about anything, including mm -hmm. like the best burger all mm -hmm. the way down to like what I think, sh which shorts are the most comfortable mm -hmm. lightly. Yeah. And so you have to like, I don't know, you have to come ready to like play, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, and so I'm not going to just like, throw out an opinion without thoughts behind it. Yeah. And I would appreciate if you didn't either. The problem is I think some people don't uh, investigate their opinions very greatly. I think some people take one bite of some food and decide it's the best thing they've ever had and mm -hmm. move on and, and then we'll uh, regurgitate that mm -hmm. for others. And I, I think on this specifically, yeah. this example with you, I think sometimes people mistake your curiosity for judgment. Yes. So yeah. you're, you're curious. Why, like, why do you think that? Why do yeah, you do why that? Do you do and that? It, yeah. and it feels to people like, Oh geez, that's like, people aren't used to being asked that for right. one thing, sure. but you are incessantly curious about these types of things. Totally. And so sometimes that's misunderstood as judgment when in fact it's just curiosity. For sure. Here's a little microcosm. Uh, I'm, I'm, a big fan of leasing a vehicle mm -hmm. and my lease is up in mm -hmm. a few months. And here's what you have to know. I will lease my new vehicle. I will drive it home and I might not leave the vehicle for as many as six to eight hours because I will read the owner's manual cover to cover. I will figure out how to set personal pictures as the background image of every, <laughs> like of every screen in the vehicle. I like, I just, I just feel like, you should know how to use your stuff because mm -hmm. like, because why are I, why am I paying for it? If I don't know what every button does, mm -hmm. those buttons are now mine for the next 36 months. And I'm going to know what they do. Darn right. it. Right. Um, and so at any rate, and I think that, um, and I get that's like a lot for some people. And I think for me to feel safe, I just want like for that to be okay. Totally. And, uh, and so that is, that's how that's I a great, feel safe. great answer. Yeah. I, I would say we got, you know, a lot of really great feedback from people at their tables, but the way that I tried to summarize what everyone was saying is like for, and, and how we try to be a safe place as a community is one, we really seek to live in the open. That's mm -hmm. the language that we use regarding being honest about what's going on inside of our inside of us and in our lives. Like we don't hide the human inclination is to hide what is true. Mm. And, and so we really work hard to live in the open. Secondly, we really welcome people's weakness and woundedness. Like mm -hmm. we, we are working from the assumption that we are all hurting people. Yeah. You know, like how was, I was driving my kids to school this morning and I was like, uh, I, I was just like aware in this five minute period I experienced so much emotion and I had this like conscious awareness as I took my three kids. My three kids have no idea what just happened in me in the last five minutes. Mm. Like I went from like severe frustration because we left late and then there was traffic on the way there that I then had to do a U-turn, find a different way. And then a song came on the radio that like just momentarily triggered this like really deep well of emotion inside of me regarding childhood. And we were not even like five minutes outside of the house yet. <laughs> and I had gone through like this full emotional sure. gamut. And so we work from the assumption everybody has their wounds. And yeah. those wounds don't have to be hidden and covered up. They're welcome here. Mm. Uh, it's That's not good. always easy to lead. <laughs> In the midst of that, it's very messy, yeah. but it's good. And then the third thing we really encourage people in is to be unshockable. Yeah. So like, there's nothing worse than when someone does 
exercise the courage to step into the open and what they get is like, <gasps> yeah, shock and shaming disgust mm-hmm. on the other end. Yeah. And so we work really hard to be like, okay, even if on the inside we're going, what the... So <clears throat> be unshockable. So that's, yep. that's how we work toward being that's a good. safe place. Uh, the second part of our uh, vision statement is we want to be a safe place for hurting people. So we've just talked about this a little bit, but everyone has hurts. And there's definitely a way in which we should look at sin as the great wound in our life. Uh, we've all experienced uh, the consequences and the reality of sin of our own. We've all been the victims of the sin of others. We live in the reality that the world is broken and filled with sin. And so everyone is hurting. And so the question is never, is this person hurting? Are people hurting? Mm. It's always a matter of awareness. Are we aware of our own hurts? Are we aware of the, the hurt of others? And so the question that I asked the room was, when, when you're hurting for any reason, what is it that you want most from people? Mm-hmm. So what do you want from others when you're hurting? So when you think about times in your life when you've gone through probably the most significant experience of something painful yeah. in your life. What what do you think you've wanted most from people? And maybe you can share a story about a time when you didn't get it mm-hmm. and what you would have liked. Yeah. But just in summary, what do you feel like is the most important to you when you're hurting? Yeah, I mean I think I think I would define this as just someone to like spend time with me. Mm-hmm. And they don't even have to say anything. Mm-hmm. Like I you know, uh like uh, especially when it comes to like, I know that there's like so many, so much value in like sharing scripture with someone and mm-hmm. all of that. And I was like the Awana champ. Mm-hmm. I've got those verses going through mm-hmm. and there are just different times. They don't mean a lot. So for example, I think probably the most like hurting I've ever been pain I've ever experienced um, <clears throat> is when my um, older sister passed away. Mm-hmm. And I've shared that story before. And yeah. I had, uh, I was in North Carolina and I had uh, a couple of the leaders from the church come over and, um, I don't know, sort of beat me up Just with the Bible, Bible and, yeah, yeah, and like rebuke me a little bit because I was, you know, sad, sad, and and that kind of thing, and that was really frustrating. But I also had uh, a person who had been a friend for several years there as well, and um, he sort of scared those guys off, which I appreciated. And he was like, you know what, let's let's go get something to eat, which I really appreciated. Um, and and we ordered some food, and I just wasn't like. I wasn't really hungry, mm-hmm. you know, right. shocking, right? Yep. Um, and so I was sort of picking at it. And I remember he looked at me and he was like, dude, like, are you going to eat? Are you hungry? I was like, uh, I mean, I don't know why. And he's like, well, I just, I, I told my wife and that I'd be home. And so like, I got to go pretty quick. And that was almost as bad mm-hmm. as like the Bible versing to death. Yeah. And what I really needed is someone to just like really in that, like even more than like go to dinner, like, like let's just watch a movie or mm-hmm. let, like just to have the company of somebody else in that moment. But also, um, yeah, I mean, that's it really. Yeah. The, just, just their presence and, and to not feel like, um, you know, in that moment, I was especially being like a single person, being like older in life. Like I get you've got all the other priorities and mm-hmm. all the thing, but like I think like especially when I'm hurting, to feel in that moment like I'm somebody's priority. Yeah, that would be great. <clears throat> it's really good. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this when 
we have the week that we talk about formation groups. This is fresh on my mind because I just talked about this last night. But in our groups, one of the things that we are super, super clear with people on is that you are not to take a posture of trying to fix, rescue, or save, mm-hmm. which is very, very hard because sure. we live in a very like fix-it culture. Yeah, And it makes us uncomfortable when a problem is just in front of us. Even yeah. if that problem is a hurting people, we just want to like clean that all up. And the thing that I've really tried to encourage people with is people almost never remember what you say unless you wounded them with sure. what you said, totally. which is what happened to you. Yep. What people tend to remember is that you were there. So there is just incredible power in just sheer presence. Totally. So I think that that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. I also think another thing that will help us to be a safe place for hurting people is to really cultivate a deeper awareness of our own hurts. You know, like I just think a lot of us live for any number of reasons with a severe lack of awareness around our own hurts and where they come from. And so two things that can really help with that is just really developing a a, a significant practice of reflection what am I feeling? Why do I feel it? But then also relationship. And that relationship could be just with a friend, could be with a pastor, mm-hmm. a spiritual director, a therapist. But really with an with an eye toward how do I get a better understanding of my own woundedness? Because as we understand that more, it should have the effect of making us way more compassionate and empathetic toward other people. Mm-hmm. So, So yeah, the last thing that we hit on was that we want to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus and one another. And we really, really try to put the emphasis on that relationship piece because Mm. it is my uh, growing conviction that the vast majority of professing Christians do not really have a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And a majority of Christians have settled for the consumption of Christian goods and services And as a result of that, they've settled for God at a distance when healing relationship has been offered to them. Mm. And so the place where we tried to really focus our attention at the tables was on this idea of relationship. And so Mm -hmm. I just threw out this general question of, what do you think the characteristics of a relationship are? Mm -hmm. And we got a wide variety of answers. But when you think about what's most important to you. And one of the things I've always really appreciated about you is, especially when it comes to friendship, you have spent an, in a significant amount of time really thinking about what it means to be a good friend, what's mm. important to you in a friend. And so sure. when you think about relationship in general, yeah. what, what, what's like most important to you or the characteristic of a, of a true relationship? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, when I think of the closest relationships that I have, um, it's really that feeling of like intimacy mm-hmm. in that relationship. And personally, I would define that as um, it like there's something special felt mm-hmm. between myself and that person, something mm-hmm. that's not shared with um everyone else, something that they don't unique or distinct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That they're, they're just something unique about the connection point. And even if it's like a group of friends or this and that, that there is something about like just the pairing of those two people that feels unique and special. And that, that like we enjoy this uniquely together. Mm -hmm. Um, That's always been something that has been really, really significant to me, whether it be friendships or a boss relationship or just any relationship that I have that's meaningful to me, mm-hmm. that like feeling special has always been really, really significant. And so 
I, what's interesting about that answer to me is again, the place that we were trying to push to was that we want people to find that with Jesus and with one another. Mm -hmm. And so, and intimacy is a really important word to us and something that we're really after as a community, intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with one another. And so the fact that that's how you define um, what's important to you in relationship like we we've talked, you've talked a little bit up even on the podcast. Like your you have some some weighty things in your own spiritual life right now mm-hmm. as a result of a lot of pain and trauma and abuse, spiritual abuse to be specific that mm-hmm. you've experienced five years ago that has affected and altered your experience of relationship with Jesus. Sure. So what is it? So when you think about that definition that what's important to you is intimacy as experienced as something special. Yeah. What's that like for you (laughs) right now spiritually? Yeah. In my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I've recently began a relationship with a, a spiritual director, of course, different from you because mm-hmm. that's important. Yep. Um, but that's what I'm working on because mm-hmm. I don't feel that at all. I think if I would define what I feel right now, like I believe, you know, you know, a lot of times people go through a crisis of faith or things like that of, you know, is God real and this mm-hmm. and that. And like, I don't know that for one second of my life I've ever wondered yeah. about that. Yep. Um, I for sure have wondered like, like, does God like me? Do I like him? You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think, um, I think what I've, even with my spiritual director in the last couple of weeks have, um, shared is I just feel very utilitarian mm-hmm. that, um, there's a lot of things that I can do a lot of, I, I, even through my XP, even through, uh, formation, even through, you know, all of that, like, uh, like I do a lot of like supporting around mm-hmm. the, the behind You're a valuable the asset yeah, to for God's sure. team. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, yeah, I bet cleanup for everybody. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I think that, you know, even thinking about some, uh, professional relationships I've had with bosses or things like that, like, mm-hmm. like I, I, like I love that. And I thrive in that. Like when I feel like they're like, and it doesn't even have to be like widely known, it can mm-hmm. just be between us, you yeah. know, but, but, but there's something special in yeah, that relationship some, yeah. about you. And when that is like feels lacking, then it, then it's not intimacy for sure. And I, I think what is, um, courageous about like this relationship that you've stepped into with a great spiritual director has has been your making the decision I'm not going to settle despite like it's become com- like this is I mean this is not I don't think you mind me sharing like this is like five years you've been oh, feeling sure. like this yeah. this isn't just like uh COVID was hard yeah <laughs> it was like yeah it's been a bad week yeah there yeah. were 18 <laughs> months of significant spiritual abuse that you endured yeah and there's been five years of you really it for all intents and purposes, feeling very utilitarian, relating yeah. with God at a distance, but you have come to a point where you decided like, I'm not going to settle for this anymore. Yeah. I'm going to press into it. And I know that it's really hard and it takes a lot yeah. of courage to do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my spiritual director uh, was a pastor in a very large church for about 20 years. He's been a spiritual director, I believe for 14. 
Um, he's also his, a counselor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a licensed counselor. He's actually like uh, decided to like. Uh, there's a great Christian counseling group uh, where he lives, and so he's gonna like start working for them awesome. just to you know fill time and that kind of thing. But um, I mean, so he's got all that experience. Uh, primarily focuses on people in ministry with you know ministry baggage mm-hmm. and like. referred to it as like the most profound spiritual abuse he had heard of. Mm-hmm. And I only had like 40 minutes to tell him about it. He doesn't even know that. <laughs> right. That was just what I could remember. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's a lot, but I think that there is like, you just get to a point where you're like, well, like I, you know, I think even, even what you just said there about like, I'm, I cannot be, be content Mm -hmm. with like just the Christian goods and services. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. that the idea that I'm just, you know, a part of a car, you know, like fine, I'll, I'll work at Starbucks and like make sure your latte doesn't have foam on it and somehow try to find meaning in that. But when it comes to this, there has to be something more and I just have to work to find it. Well, here's just as we bring this to a close, here's what I think is awesome about, especially ending in this place of our conversation is I feel like it gives people who are listening um, a, a real-time experience of how we go about accomplishing this vision because the truth is like this, these kinds of conversations, like this is what we do all the time. Right. And so your, I mean, I, would, I don't think that you ever have for me, I hope, like you've never been shamed for being where you are. And you've never been um, told that you shouldn't feel that way. The reality is everything that you have experienced, where you are, what you've felt is all entirely understandable. And so we have worked hard to create an environment where everybody gets to do that. Everybody gets to be honest and open about where they are spiritually, about what they're feeling, what they're going through, what they've been through, and what they we try to meet people with is just immense compassion and empathy. And we have found that in the midst of that, if we don't Bible beat everybody to death, Mm -hmm. that what actually takes place is healing and an increase of intimacy with God and with one another. They're actually willing to stick around. Yeah, exactly. And rather than like just bury all that hurt underneath or like just hop from one church to another. And that is what we're after. And so that's why I'm really thankful to say like, there was no part of me when I wrote this and then communicated that I was like, I really hope that we can actually make this work because this is, and it really, it comes out of, for me, it comes out of like that last Ridgeline celebration service that we had. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had dozens of people come up and share how they had experienced God at Ridgeline. And it was story after story after story of this being true. Yep. And so that was very, very confirming of, of everything that we're trying to do. So next week, we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about uh, our third gathering that we had where we talked about mission. Mm-hmm. And mission, uh, just to distinguish it from vision, if vision is who we are or long to be, mission is how we actually go about living up and into mm-hmm. that vision. And so we're going to talk about how we are working to do that as a community next week. But as always, thanks so much for listening to this episode. And we would love if you would 
uh, follow us on social media. So we would love to connect with you uh, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And you can find me at, at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. You can find me on the same platforms at, at Tyler Dravitz. That's D-R-E-W-I-T-Z. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.